0: Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking with Darren Gallup, who is the co founder and CEO of Carbide. Carbide is a cybersecurity firm that provides businesses of all sizes with the tools they need to adopt a strong cybersecurity and privacy posture. We're going to be talking to Darren about that, but we're also going to talk to Darren about how to engage your team in cybersecurity and build a secure, quote-unquote, by-default company. Uh, We'll also talk about how you can showcase your company's cybersecurity posture in a way that helps you to grow your business. But before we do that, let's say hi to Darren. Darren, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well. How are you doing?
0: Pretty good. Hey, whereabouts are you located?
1: I am on the island of Cape Breton in nova scotia up in canada
0: that Favorite is awesome island, nova scotia and i've never been there uh, have wanted to go many times uh, how far out is the island how big is the island
1: there's a, around a hundred thousand people on the island um all in and mm-hmm. most of that is in, in the center of the island um, the north of the island is absolutely phenomenal. It's called the Cape Breton Highlands. It's a national park. It's, it's a very popular tourist attraction. So a lot of people come here, mostly in the summer, fall months, uh, not when it's snowing and all of that good stuff. So, uh, But yeah, it, it's really close to the mainland. You actually just take a causeway from mainland Nova Scotia. So there's no like ferry to get there or anything like that.
0: So, I mean, it, that sounds like a kind of a remote place to build a cybersecurity firm. How did you, you know, how did that uh, come about?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're totally right. It's a remote place to build um, a globally focused SaaS company or any type of company for that matter. The way I look at it for me, like this is where I live. So, and, and I believe that I, I love building businesses. This is the th- fourth or fifth business, fourth business, I guess, real business that I've built over my career and I've built them all from here. And my philosophy has always been that uh, this is where I live. This is where I want to be. So I build things to facilitate my life. So, you know, as, although I respect the folks that are like, Hey, I'm going to go build a thing. And the best place in the world for me to be to do that is this particular city, maybe it be New York or Silicon Valley or something. And they get up and they move that, but that's kind of not the way I think about things. So and, and in that equation, a lot of my mission in, in my sort of entrepreneurial career has been to try to help where I'm from. So you're right, it's a remote town. And, and historically, it's a town that has not had a lot of technology and innovation in that regard as an industry. And it has survived primarily off of steel plants, coal, fishing industry, legacy industries, essentially. And I moved out of here Right after high school, like it was one of those types of things where I couldn't wait to get the hell out of here and I went and I I moved to another part of the province at first I ended up in Montreal for a while I ended up in Hungary for a while over in Eastern Europe, I ended up in Spain and North Africa, Western Canada and in the end I just kind of ended up back here and that experience of traveling and being away was certainly an eye-opening experience and I got to see the world, but then I really longed to being back here. and, And when I came back here, it was one of those situations where I was like, Hey, we can do a lot from here. Let's just start doing it. And you know, the internet obviously helped that considerably. And I think the pandemic even helped that more.
0: Yeah. I am fortunate myself that, um, I I consult with three different organizations and I can be anywhere in the world. They don't care where I'm at. They just want me to, uh, to do what I do. And I I love that kind of freedom, but you know, in your case, I'm assuming that you have customers that are all over the place. Um, Do you need to ever, you know, interact with them face-to-face or can you, can you manage things um, remotely?
1: We do everything remote. And that was really the premise from the beginning of the company when we started it. Uh, we had our team in person here originally, and we were working together as a team face to face. But we always knew our customers, with the exception of you know two or three local customers, would be, Away, They'd be in cities where you have clusters of of technology companies. Most of our customers are B2B software as a service companies. We knew that our customers were going to be in faraway places. And in fact, my last company was a very similar situation. We had our entire staff here in Cape Breton, but all of our customers were all over the world. We were in 23 different countries by the time that company was acquired. So that part was always part of the plan. I think what really changed during the pandemic is that... Once the pandemic started and we all went working from home, it changed our perspective on hiring. So then it opened the doors for us to start recruiting talent from all over the country and even, even in the U.S., which was really helpful for the business because, you know, we needed very specialized skills in certain areas. Uh, and that sort of opened that up. So we now today don't have an office. We're entirely remote. And I would say about half of the companies in Nova Scotia spread out, not just here locally in, in, in my hometown here in Cape Breton, but spread out across the province. And then we've got people in Toronto, Montreal, Calgary, um, Vancouver, and, and even south of the border.
0: Awesome. Hey, I, I, I want to get onto the topic about engaging teams in cybersecurity um, to build a secure company by default. But before I do that, could you just give a little bit more information about what Carbide actually does? What type of services do you provide your customers?
1: Yeah, so we're a software as a service company. It's a compliance management platform. And essentially what it does is it allows an organization that either doesn't have a proper documented formulated security program, or maybe they have one, but it's kind of piecemeal and it certainly needs some improvements and enhancements. What it allows them to do is go in, and we pre-populate it with information that we gain through the sales process through discovery. And then they're presented with the opportunity to give information about what their business does, what types of data it stores, where its customers are, and so on. And then the tool basically generates a set of controls based on a matrix that sort of operates this from the back end. That's basically looking at like what what regulations or standards or frameworks the organization needs to comply with, maybe what industries they're. They're working with and if there's PII involved where's wh- where are the citizens the owners the data subjects of that of that PII where are they located and it computes all these controls and we've actually created our own control um system like our own actual uh, standard which you know there's not that the world needs any more standards but it became a, a requirement for us to really build a tool in a way where it could be intelligent and thoughtful and meaningful. And so what our tool does essentially is it generates all your controls. From that, there's a policy builder that generates your policies. So they're not just a standard blanket template. They're based on what controls are being selected. Um, from the tool. And then based on all that, it really just maps out all of the different, like a bunch of projects, right? Broken down d- into domains in which areas in an organization, which, which roles in an organization would be likely responsible for those particular projects, breaks it down into tasks with examples, templates, just really guides. And then on top of that, we have an educational layer that includes both awareness training, but also deeper security Training, so for the people that are going to be looking after security at the developer the, the the software development perspective or from the network management perspective or the HR perspective, whatever it may be, giving them some some ability to learn. And then from that, you basically, you know, a lot of our customers are looking to get something like a SOC 2 or an ISO 27001, or maybe they have to comply with GDPR. So we can guide them towards that process. We have partners that can help them with things like getting their penetration test program going, getting their vulnerability scanning going. We have integrations with about 130, 140 different platforms that can automate the process of monitoring that controls are active and, 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 and being implied and, and collecting evidence on that. So if you are going into an audit program, you have that. And then we have a reporting center that can you can generate reports that you can share with your customers to really give them uh, some transparency and insight into what your security posture or your privacy posture as an organization actually looks like
0: excellent and i was going to ask you about the automation so and did i hear you right that you work with partners and or other platforms in terms of doing some type of scan of a company's IT uh, infrastructure, or the the different, um, you know, I guess, IoT devices and so on to kind of to, to then generate some recommendations to help them to work towards compliance?
1: Yeah, so we have a couple of partners uh, that are integrated into our platform that have specialized skills that monitor security, configuration, vulnerabilities, and whatnot, one of them is a vulnerability scanner and it's mostly designed to scan scan websites or web applications or APIs um, we can we can however instruct a customer to setting up a VM within a, a physical environment if they want to run scans from vulnerability scans within but to be honest the majority of our customers are fairly light on on the side of their in-house network and and, and, and IT a lot of these companies Really, the crown jewels are some sort of web application uh, that's running maybe on a uh, multi-tenant database in an AWS or a Google Google Cloud or an Azure environment. And so a lot of what we actually use our testing for on that particular vulnerability side is is doing uh, credentialized scans and externalized scans to APIs, to web applications within pages within the application itself. Um, And then we have partners with uh, penetration testers that can do an annual or more frequent penetration test where we use some leverage, some, some different tools, but also have a human component in there. And then we also have tools that will monitor compliance within an environment. So say, for example, if you have a web application hosted in AWS and you're leveraging something like uh, a baseline, like the CIS uh, benchmark for for AWS or, or AWS's own uh, internally built best practices recommendation of a, a security configuration baseline, we can monitor that that's being respected throughout the, the, throughout the whole process. So, uh, and collect evidence
0: on that. Excellent. Well, I mean, being, Delivering a um, a service like this puts you in touch with a lot of different organizations, okay? And you see, um, I guess, various scenarios in terms of how companies are trying to, you know, secure their 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 operations. But um, originally, we were going to talk about how you can engage your team in cybersecurity. So, what what are some best practices for getting everybody on board with this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest to say that in, in my experience, and I've worked with hundreds of companies over the years of this company, in the early days, much more hands on, we kind of started off more of a bit of a Wizard of Oz kind of uh, thing where there was a lot of the work was me and a few other colleagues of mine working diligently behind the scenes and working directly with customers as we built out product to create some better automation, but I think honestly the thing that I find that cust- that 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 our customers struggle with the most and what software service like newer younger companies like most of our customers are between I would say 30 and 200 employees it's really getting people on board and and creating change like that is really like honestly to to imp- to improve the the state of your network configuration and monitoring monitoring or or securing an AWS environment, usually that stuff can happen pretty quickly. And what the challenge always is, is getting people to change the way they think and changing habit. And and to be honest, I, I would say that where it's the most important is at the top of the organization. And, you know, I've actually come up with of all the security questionnaires and I've seen so many security questionnaires come to my own companies, uh, certainly come to my cut, like customers and you know, some of them have like 400 questions and half the questions are just completely un- inapplicable to the, to the use case and I see all this craziness that happens and I've actually, when when the few times that I've done uh, vendor assessments on early stage companies, I've broken it down to somewhere between eight and 10 questions. And really what what I've seen, and this is why I've kind of got to this level, is that What I've seen is if the senior management in the organization, like the CEO, the board, the people at the top aren't prioritizing security, then the organization ends up being somewhat hopeless. You end up having like IT people that are always struggling to get budget. They're struggling to get people on board. And then you have this conflict inside the organization where everybody sees the security team as those annoying people that are like putting all this red tape around them. And and it's just kind of like, it's just headbutting constantly. And I see that a lot. Uh, and I see it actually more in the in slightly larger businesses. So so yeah, definitely getting people engaged in security and thinking of security less as a bolt on. Like I really hate and I see this so often. Somebody's like, yeah, we're not really thinking about security right now. We're just going to build all this technology, and then uh, you know we'll do a we'll do a security pass there before we launch. And it's like, yeah, no, that's not the way you do it. right? Like, it's like saying we're going to build a house. Uh, And then we'll build a foundation. It's just, it just doesn't make sense. And, and so, you know, I think changing the way people think about it is super critical. Um, And it's, and it's tough, right? Like when you're talking to executives in in the business, and I'm the CEO of a company, I, I totally get this. Uh, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur before I'm a security professional. And, and frankly, as an entrepreneur, a lot of the times your biggest risk is that you will run out of cash before you either, you know, meet some sort of sales objective or meet some sort of requirement or KPIs to raise your next round of funding. So, so I I can see why it it becomes seen as a cost center. Um, But yeah, that, that's really the the biggest thing that I see.
0: Other than, you know, throwing resources or investments towards security what can senior leadership do to you know to show that hey this is important
1: practice it don't be the exception and that's a common thing i see it's like well you know we're spending x x amount of dollars in security but then the ceo gets up from his desk and leaves his screen completely accessible and you know, or or is that you're at a club after work having a beer, and this an executive leaves his phone on the on the table and goes to the washroom or something like that. Like just like practice it, be an example, take it seriously, and 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 participate as well. And that's a really big one. And and then also like the other one is and 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 if you I, I refer to this as security theater, and a lot of organizations think of it like, hey, we're just going to do the minimal viable investment and effort we can to pass the SOC 2 audit. Well, when you're doing that, you're sending a message that you're just, this is a sales exercise. It's a theatrical versus an actual security exercise. So doing a little, a little bit more than that, right? And like some examples of that would be making sure the product team is thinking security and privacy by design when they're at the design stage, not just building things and then, uh, you know, running a vulnerability scanner after you deploy it, but actually incorporating that into the design. Do we need this information, what information here is what risks are associated with this feature, what security controls, in addition to our baked in security controls, should we consider here things like that and having that communication be part of a decision process across the organization, making sure that you include in your board reports some sort of dashboard and insight uh, that demonstrates to the board. That the organization does have risk, educating your, your stakeholders of the risks associated with the business and making sure that there's an accountability through the organization that the, the specific controls or practices that have, have been developed to protect the business from those risks are actually being uh, measured in, in the same way that you'd measure your KPIs against sales objectives or renewal churn objectives or product development objectives. Factoring it into that level of importance shows and demonstrates that it's value to the business
0: I think that's some, some great advice um, and to your point where you you know as an uh, as a leader you actually have to walk the walk I've seen examples of executives who've said hey you know this MFA is is really kind of a hassle can you turn it off and I'm like dude if anybody in this organization should have MFA on it's you okay because because of your you know your responsibilities and and your, the access that you have to you know various data. Um, but so, so, you know, if, if you're expecting the the frontline people to have MFA on, you should have it on as well. Um, and then to your point about baking security into all the processes, I think that a lot of times people and organizations, they look at it as, ah, it's a hassle, it's a cost, it's an expense, but I know that you have some thoughts in terms of how you can kind of flip that and say, Hey, our security can be actually a kind of a unique selling point for us or help us to win business. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so you know, so when I think when you go from sort of senior management being bought in and you start going looking at the rest of your company and getting the buy in there, absolutely. If 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 you're an organization that stores or processes confidential information or PII, which is you know, most businesses, or if you have a platform where data integrity or availability is absolutely critical, then that is super important to the business's bottom line. So having that factored in and making sure that people in in sales understand giving them giving them the equipment make sure they have up-to-date reports that shows what the company's posture is if there's a SOC2 or an ISO program or what, what the organization is compliant with. Make sure they have those tools and bake those tools into your sales collateral and your marketing collateral in a way that you can reduce those frictions in the marketing and the sales process is certainly a, a good way to do it. The the other thing and I guess this is maybe a little less sales oriented but just a a really good practice that I find when it comes to creating awareness around best practices within an entire organization from a human perspective. And and I always think about awareness training, you know, a lot of organizations, they do like this thing where it's like, okay, every year we got to do, everybody's got to watch these same videos over that are like, you know, about fishing and all these sort of standard awareness training concepts. But I find if you take it out of, being exclusively the context of your business and make it educational to the point where you're actually educating your employees to understand how these practices that you're teaching them can be applied to securing their own lives, their own financial security and the lives and the safety of their family. And I I don't think there's a better time in the world than we are at right now. We have really huge scams like the AI voice scam where there's tons of news articles that have popped up just in the last couple of weeks of people receiving calls about, you know, hey, we have your daughter, and then you can hear the voice of the daughter crying and screaming for help in the background, and it's obviously not the daughter, but it's really, really, really convincing, and we're seeing AI really being leveraged in a way where people are uh, there, there's there's a lot of uh, problems financially in the world. The markets aren't really good. And there's a lot of parts of the world that aren't as well off as our parts of the world. And we're seeing the result of that with scams and with the hacking and how it's going right to the, the home and the family level. So that's, a, that's something that really, if you can build an awareness training program, that's what we try to do with everything we're doing. We're teaching people. Like, don't just make it like the boss grilling the employees about what you need to do so we don't get ransomware or crypto lock. Put it contextually, like give them stuff that they can take home and think about after the fact, actually educate them, give them a greater interest in the practices. Like my opinion on security awareness training is it works and you've done your job when they go home and they check the firmware on their router or they go change their passwords and implement a password manager in their personal lives. And so when you can accomplish that and you can personalize it, that's. That's like, you're really getting to the point then where you've really got everybody on board. And then what, what happens magically, and I've seen this happen to the organizations that do it well, what magically happens when everybody becomes aware and knowledgeable and has some degree in interest, of interest in security and data privacy versus seeing it as an obstacle, is they just start making better decisions. And there's like this natural transition organizationally and culturally that happens in the business where I've and I've seen it in my business. I've seen people that aren't the security leaders in my business that don't have any certifications or formal training in security be like, hey, should we shouldn't we be doing something more like this? Or isn't that? And it's like, yes, you're right. Congratulations. And that's when it works. So I think, you know, if you can build the culture around security, the other side of that is. When people, your salespeople, if they're just, you know, playing the theatrical approach of here's our documents and they look pretty and they say we do all this wonderful stuff, if they can't also talk the talk in the calls. Then it, it, it kind of comes off as superfluous, like it comes off basically fake, right? It comes off theatrical. And we even see that in the buying process for more advanced enterprise buyers, where they'll, they'll take the SOC 2 report or whatever questions or answers you've provided in a security questionnaire or a security report, and then they'll want to jump on a call and ask you questions and look you in the eyes over, you know, over the Zoom call to see like, are these guys really doing this? Or is this just a theatrical presentation of pretty diagrams and charts and check marks?"
0: No, totally, totally makes a lot of sense. Hey, um, <clears throat> I'm just looking at your bio here and, you know, you're CEO and CISO um, and you've been doing that for a variety of firms. And I, I don't often see that. I see CEO and co-founder. I see head of products. I see head of security or or CISO, CTOs. Um, but I, I, I've rarely seen the uh, combined title of CISO with CEO. What came first, the CEO or the CISO, um, and, and, and how does that work?
1: Yeah, the, the CEO definitely comes first. And, and honestly, I mean, is it the best idea? I don't think it is. Like, I find that can be sometimes a, a, a bit of a conflict that that can create. But I think what, what it does do is it, it's, it's establishing an importance in the organization that at the top of the organization, there is a person who is looking after making sure that the KPIs around the security program are being implemented and holding people at the highest level in the organization accountable for their roles and responsibilities in it. Now, 100%, once we get to a certain size in the business, that I, I would hire a CISO. What I don't like, and I see a lot of organizations do this, is where they don't value security as being something that should be at that level in the business. And so they end up like hiring a very inexperienced person and give them a role like a security manager or a director of security. And yes, that's better than having nobody looking after your security. I I will say that. And I've seen cases where there's been very strong candidates in that role. But it also makes uh, it also it also sets a standard. So if you have a VP or a a VP of sales or a, a chief sales offer officer officer a chief revenue officer and you have a CTO and you have a, a chief product officer and you have a you know VP of customer success and then you have a a, a security ma- IT security manager or information security manager it it really does state the obvious which is like here's the person that does the what what needs to be done so we can pass our SOC 2 audit versus like let's actually be a secure company and if you're if you're a global focused company building a product for enterprise or government and and your product is going to have a large amount of confidential information over various different regions uh, nationally internationally then i just don't believe that's enough so i have a security team and i did in my last company as well where i where i had the similar role i hold them very accountable and and those that team does frankly most of the heavy lifting i really just provide that leadership of me being in every security meeting and me expecting to see KPIs and to see accountability in the security program and making sure that I deliver that to my board of directors. Whether every one of those board members sees the value in it or not, it's it's my role to make sure that they see it and they understand it and that's part of their due care due diligence as board members.
0: If we go back to the training thing for a second, uh, you know, I, I I think you gave some really good ideas or suggestions, recommendations for uh, the how to make training um, relevant and and allow people to pull value out of it that can help them at work but also help them in their private lives. How, do, what's your preferred method of delivering training? Is it live? Is it online? Is it self-paced? What have you seen that works?
1: I'm a big fan of a hybrid model. So what I mean by that is, I think it's great to have like your traditional, I guess I would call it awareness training videos where people watch the video and then they get a quiz afterwards. That's great because you can you can really figure out which departments need to have what skills and you can align certain training in there. I like having it be something we talk about in uh, team updates. So I send a bi-weekly update to my team uh, basically high level, what's going on, what's the challenges in the business, what's good, what's not good, where do we need help, where do we need to improve, etc. And, you know, including security in there, um, we have channels on our Slack channel where we talk about different breaches and hacks that are happening, uh, different different things that are happening on the scam front, uh, like the AI voice scam that I was speaking about earlier. So having that sort of conversational, uh, real time, keeping people alert, like keeping it being a topic. Um, I used to be a big fan of my last company. We used to have things that we would put up like posters in the washroom and stuff. Now we're now we're completely we're completely uh, work from home, so we don't really have that. But yeah, I think I think also like depending on the role, like certainly when you're talking to dev teams and software developers, people that are configuring and managing IT equipment, having lunch and learns is great. Um, always, anytime there's anything relevant that comes out product-wise or, or trend-wise. Uh, just bringing that into lunch and learns and just having security not be that again that like okay uh this particular standard that we need to comply with says as long as we do this training once a year and like you know like stop get away from that minimal that minimal stuff and you know just make it more natural because everyone's going to have a different way of learning right so if they're hearing about things all the time it's going to be more conscious they're going to be more aware if they see in slack or in business meetings or we in our all hands meeting we talk about something that's going on in the security front it just opens their eyes and they're going to hear more in the news and they're going to be more perceptive of what's going on it's like the type of thing that you go you go look at a car and you're out shopping a car and maybe you go look at i don't know like a hyundai xl and then all of a sudden you just notice for the next couple of weeks well, I just keep seeing the same these these cars around. I didn't really notice it before. It's like it's kind of the way that the mind works, right? So out of sight, out of mind. So I think. Really just trying to find a hybrid and look at how does the organization communicate already? What's the training that happens already? What are the general updates and practices and dashboards or KPIs or things that the team is going to look at and consume in part of their business and incorporate it. So, again, not bolt on. Don't just make it like this pain in the ass thing that people have to do that they don't feel is relevant. Incorporate it to the relevance of what the business is doing, included in the mission, included in the goals of the organization, indoctrinated into the business
0: it's, it's funny. You bring up the example of, you know, once you become aware of something, you start to see it more and more. Um, and my example was, you know, I'd never looked at a baby buggy, uh, in my entire life. I, I might've seen them, but I'd never really paid attention. And after we had our first baby, it was like, Oh my God, look at all these. And Oh, look at that one. That's really cool. <laughs> you know, it's like they were everywhere. You know, <laughs> it's like, I think that's called articular reticulation or something of that sort. But, uh, Hey, I got to ask you, you know, you're 100% remote. What advice would you give for other organizations that have a large number or of remote workers or are completely remote in terms of, you know, security concerns?
1: Yeah, so, you know, again, training and awareness are going to be key in that. And also providing some guidance and some structure, having a policy around home network and what you expect people to have. So, things like keeping their, their firmware up to date, make sure they're using a supported modem, make sure they have a complex password and they have a guest network for when people are over things like that, like getting people into the practice. And again, that's a great opportunity. Don't make it about, Hey, I need you to, you know, people respond sometimes when you're like a company and you're not necessarily paying for their internet or paying for all the things that them host. Maybe they're sometimes they'll be like, Hey, you know, it's my network. I'll do it. What you want? That's another, that's another example of where it's very effective to be like, Hey, here's good practices you can use to secure your family. And it is, you're not being deceitful in any way. Like you really should make sure your network's secure. You really should. You have your, your wife and Or your husband or your family or whatever living kids whatever you have in your home like you should be following these practices so again if you can really indoctrinate people give them guidance show them how to make their home environment their home network environment more secure and then on the business side i mean my biggest one i i am not a believer of people using their own personal computers for work purpose Mm -hmm. um and i see that a lot of companies especially earlier stage companies do that because they don't want to get into having to buy a macbook or MacBook Pro every time they hire a new employee. But we do that, we buy a computer, everybody gets a lot of the computer. We use uh, an MDM, like a solution that basically monitors the devices and has a closed down configuration. So uh, password complexity, password changes, um, data encryption, the screen going to sleep requiring password, things like that, Uh, you know, a bunch of other things. I won't get into all the details, but making sure the device is hardened. I mean, obviously you don't want to harden it to the point where people can't do their jobs, but certainly make sure that the device is hardened, Um, making sure that there is antivirus tools or endpoint protection tools installed. And, and I'm a big fan of having both signature and anomaly detection. So if they do click on something that they shouldn't or they or they download something they shouldn't, that you have a couple of lines of defense there, making sure that there's very clear training and policy around the use of that machine being for their purposes. So their kids shouldn't be playing video games on the company computer, for example, or whatnot. Um <coughs> excuse me. And in, and where applicable, potentially even VPNs. And you know, we we uh, you know you can enforce VPNs. You know, that's another layer of uh, creates another layer of uh, of security within a home network. Certainly, anyone who's traveling around, you know, working at airports, hotels, coffee shops, and like that, absolutely mandate mandate the requirements of having a VPN. Now, I'm not talking about the traditional sort of VPNing into your office network. Again, most of my most of the customers that we work with, we have a few that have that type of configuration, but most of them are using things like are using web tools all the time they're in like Google Workspace or they're in HubSpot or Salesforce or uh, you know things like that Zendesk they're working at a SaaS tools from an updated modern browser. They're using tools where we've enforced multi-factor authentication, password complexity, HTTPS, things like that, and all the different things. Um, You know, we have certain situations, like for example, we have a a, a VPN multi-factor authentication layer for all of our devs that communicate uh, directly with uh, any of our code base or any of that kind of stuff, certain things like that. But, you know, I honestly think it's it's like that. Give them the tools to be more secure at home, educate them, give them guidance on how to make their home environment more secure give them the training so they're practicing and harden their computer and make sure that there's, there's rules and expectations and that you can hold them accountable to that. That's the biggest, I don't, I know I've, I've had this conversation once with the CISO of a very big bank and it was a very different conversation because their conversation was like, how do we trust that people aren't like taking screen, taking pictures on their phone of, of, you know, confidential information or, you know, otherwise getting the data away from, or just sitting there writing it down or whatnot, if we can't see them. Right. So it's like that concept of, (laughs) you know, having cameras and it's like, yeah, I mean, there's a certain point in your business where you do have to trust people. Like the bottom line is people can do bad things. And if there's people that are inside your business. So I think this comes down to the processes that, that you use to select people and, and, you know, it's funny when every time I say to a customer, hey, you got to go get to do a background check on all your employees. And they kind of get people get weird about that. They're like, oh, geez, this has have been working here for years. Like, I don't want to ask them that. And like, they got nervous and then employees get nervous, like, oh, maybe they got a DUI 20 years ago or got caught with a with a marijuana joint in their, in their pocket in university or something. It's like, OK, well, you, you don't have to fire them because they have a criminal record. You just don't want to make you want to make sure they're trustworthy. Like right? if somebody had a, you know, a misdemeanor of some sort 20 years ago or something like that, you don't you know, just message it properly, but, you know, selecting people, looking at their background, being, being aware of their character. And, and, you know, it's funny, like, I can't remember what study I was reading, but it totally makes sense. And it was a study that talked about how, um, you know, treat your employees well. Like mm-hmm. the a the, the, lot of the cases where people do bad things to companies is when they're treated poorly and, and they're belittled. And, you know, just be mindful of that if you treat your employees well, you do a good process of, of selecting the right people, you treat them well. You educate them. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's really, really key. There is always going to be a risk. I mean, the reality is like with this stuff is that you can never be risk-free. You can only mitigate risk, but you have to be careful because you can't mitigate risk down to the point where the business can't function and people don't want to work there. So you do have to be mindful of that, and you have to create, you have to create a, a good working environment. I mean, you know, say like this is, I mean, put my CEO hat on. The objective of the business is not to be con- entirely secure all the time. That is the objective of the business is to build a business and generate revenue and build, build, build you know, employment for the people that work there. And it's it's to do that securely. So the business being the business is 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 appropriately I think I think you know we use the word transparency in cybersecurity to say like if the security controls are to the point where people can't do their job and and sometimes you see this in big organizations then security's failing to do its job because it's getting in the way of progress of advancing the business so I think you got to find that right balance for your business but yeah I mean you have to, you have to have people that you can trust. You can only, you can't have a camera on people all the time. That's just, that's just creepy. And people are going to be like looking for a new place to work. If you start doing that, Hey, we're just going to turn your camera on all day and watch you there. And you're living and working all day just in case.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm in agreement with you on that. Hey, let me ask you um, just quickly. Mac versus PC for security concerns. Um, and you can, you know, explain maybe talk about different scenarios. Um, Also your thoughts on the brave browser versus using something like Chrome or Safari. What are your, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. I mean, I use the brave browser a lot for my own personal uses. Um, We do use Chrome a lot for work because we use a lot of plugins and a lot of tools that are really tied into the Google infrastructure. So um, you know, it certainly serves our purposes, I think when it comes to platforms, I'm a Mac person. I've been a Mac person since early nineties, late eighties, like real when I was pretty young and I've just always used Macs and never, I've actually never owned a PC. So I I would say that just as a, a bit of a bias in advance of answering my, my, my answer there. Historically, PCs used to be always much more vulnerable than Macs. And it used to be a numbers game back in the olden days where there was just more bang for the buck to create a virus for a PC than there was to create one for a Mac. I think, I think that now, now the numbers on, on, on Macs are a lot higher. So when people say things like, Oh, I don't need to worry about that. I have a Mac. Uh, no, that's, that's, That's not the reality we live in today. But I still think, again, not being as familiar technically with with uh, PCs, I used to be a a, a certified Apple technician way, way back in the late 90s. Um, So I I know the platform inside and out and like say I've exclusively used it. They're doing a really good job at security by design or or Mm -hmm. security by default as well. So. So, for example, it used to be you turn your computer on, and I remember I used to be like anytime somebody's computer, they forgot their password or something, uh, I could always just break into it uh, really quickly just by, you know, writing a little one little line of code that makes the machine in in single user mode makes the machine think that uh, the startup configuration wasn't done and it would kind of open the whole thing where it's like hello bonjour buenos dias welcome to mac and then you could set up a new admin account and then you could change the passwords on the other accounts and have a have a free-for-all and all the data right but you know the last couple of years they've really hardened down the machines like i got my most recent mac last year and i was super impressed like the uh, file vault encryption was by default uh, like a lot of things we actually had a machine where we had an employee leave and they gave us the machine, and and they didn't give us their password to, to uh, get into it. And we had a real, we had some really smart people that are really good at hacking into devices, have a real hard time, get that machine going. Let's just put it that way. So I I would still say uh, they do. They also have some really good uh, baked in um, uh, antivirus protection. It doesn't come with like a a GUI. So you can't like go see like what's going on, but uh, it's, yeah, I think it's, I think it's still pretty, Pretty solid. We've never, in all of in all of the years of both of my companies, we've never had the only time we had a couple We had a Mac or a few Macs infected by any type of malware has been uh, actually when, in my last company when we used to have uh, Microsoft Office um, installed on the machines, and we had some sort of macro virus there that that corrupted a bunch of data. Uh, but that's the only time I've ever act, actually seen. Uh, in in any of my businesses in the last 15 years, all on Mac, have any issues. So I I stick by that, but I have to be honest with, I I don't really know as much about modern, uh, you know, what what Windows machines are like from a security standpoint in their more modern state.
0: Well, I I would say that I'm I'm, I'm a Mac person as well. I'm sitting, I'm talking to you on a MacBook Pro right now, and I've been uh, using Macs for a long time. That said... I think that the the Microsoft ecosystem, when you talk about Windows 10 and their their devices that you know are kind of fully integrated in that platform, have made um, a lot of gains. And the this is not just security related, but in terms of usability, the new surfaces um, that look very similar to the uh, the the MacBook Pros, um, th- they. They have an amazing amount of function functionality, um, including touchscreens, which you know Macs don't do, right? So yeah, um, that's that's going to be an 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 interesting. Um, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how how if they're able to to bring over any Mac users. That said, most of the Mac users I know are are kind of like you, both for security and usability. They're just they're they're never going back. But hey, uh, last one one more question in terms of how do you select a VPN? Because there's all types of VPN providers out there. How do you know if you can trust them? Um, yeah, so how, what's, what, what's your advice?
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's a great question. Um, I, I've traditionally been fairly weary of the the free model. Um, so, um, you know, I'm a big fan of looking at a security company um, and that has a VPN and look at their history what's their security practices, kind of the same way as I'd look at other companies, what are their policies, where are they located, what are the rules and regulations uh, in terms of that. And it also comes down to your use case too, like why are you using the VPN? In in most of the cases that I work in, it's usually to secure um, the transmission of data over a an uncontrolled, I like to call it an uncontrolled network. So a network that you don't know, maybe it's secure, maybe it's not. Um, might be a coffee shop, might be a, a, a WeWork facility or a shared office space. And so, you know, that's that's the way I really look at it. I think that a lot of them, obviously the speed is going to be important as well. I think a lot of them, if you're dealing with a reputable company that has a good history of security practices and, you know, look, I always I say, like, look, in, is there any history of breaches or any other, any other challenges that you might want to be aware of? But yeah, there's a lot of options and, and we've used a pile of different ones. In my personal life, I've used that personal in, uh, PIA, personal internet access, was one that I've used. I know my wife uses that one. And, um, in, 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 you know, that works really well from a personal perspective. A lot of times what like we see now and, I, I, you know, this is actually one of the advantages, I'll say that uh, from a security perspective that I am very aware of that in the PC world is there's actually just a lot more tools like uh, endpoint uh, management, endpoint detection tools out there from the v- in, in, the, in the PC market than there is for the Apple. But We see a lot of tools that are do like endpoint protection, like uh, one of the ones a lot of our customers use is Avira an a- and Avast, both of those tools have uh, a VPN component so it's baked into to the security uh, the security software as well so I, i'm a big fan of that option as well
0: makes a lot of sense so um, what where do you go to kind of keep abreast of the latest developments? Because, you know, I mean, your education needs to be a little bit deeper and possibly even broader than, you know, the people who just are, are working in a typical organization. I mean, you've got to be at the kind of the, the forefront because you're you're selling these services.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, there's kind of two sides of that question. I mean, we're, a lot of the times we're still selling. The biggest thing we're selling is getting people to indoctrinate security practices in the business. So, that That's almost more psychological, more positioning and more, you know, educational on that regard. But on the other side of things, yeah, I mean, I do, I do a bunch of different stuff. Um, I started my podcast recently, and a lot of that has been an exercise for me to kind of get me in the practice of following trends, like what's happening out there in the world. What's happening from, you know, things like AI is a great example, right? Massive. Developments in AI and what does that mean for data security? What does that mean for data privacy? Lots of new scams coming out, so you know I've done episodes on that, and that's been a really great exercise that I that I can use to research. I also uh, get a couple of different bulletins um, from from federal government here in Canada, from the from the police force here in Canada that, that are security alerts, known vulnerabilities, known uh, issues, uh, practices, and different different scams that are being reported, and we have a channel internally which is for me and but also for my whole team because they too especially those that are customer facing and product uh developing folks need to be aware so we talk about a lot of you know what is what are the trends what are the concerns what are the risks that are coming up what are the new threats in the, in the landscape and what are the new tools that are coming up what are the new best practices that are coming up right so so it's kind of a it's kind of a hybrid uh not too different to my my approach on on how i think uh you know people should do awareness training it's like um, and, and the other thing, you know, the other thing, like more formally, I'll, I'll usually do another cert. Like I did a cert last year. I did the, a privacy cert and, and uh, I'll probably do another certification this year or next year. Just kind of force me to have a goal in mind and, and, and read some curriculum and, and do that. So it's kind of a hybrid of all that. I also listen to, listen to podcasts uh, in the space and, and have a lot of different, watch a few different folks like uh, that have, that, that are talking about new cutting edge stuff. So, um, and and my LinkedIn has become a really good one as well. So I've gotten in the practice of posting on LinkedIn, and part of that has been reading what other people that I respect in the industry are posting, and and it kind of just great to think it just kind of evokes thought. And 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 reading the comments that people that are practitioners in the space, like people that are CISOs of different companies, and talking about different things, I find that a, a really great way because I find what was being talked about a lot of the times in social media, and certainly more so LinkedIn for me seems to be a really a really popular place for this these days but people are talking about you know they're not talking about the standard old school stuff uh, they're talking about like what's happening in the world so it it, it it it's it's a really great way to keep up to date and that also sparks tons of ideas that you know for my podcast i'll, I'll see a, a news article and then some really great commentary from a bunch of experts and then you know think about that a little bit and then all of a sudden then i'm sitting down saturday morning uh recording a podcast about that for for my, list, my, my viewers and listeners.
0: I think that's some excellent advice and a, a great system to kind of keep keep aware of what's going on out there. Um, if people want to find out more about Carbide or connect with you or listen to your podcast, what are the best ways for them to do that?
1: Yeah, so carbidesecure.com is our website. That's C-A-R-B-I-D-E, Carbide, uh, the metal. Uh, carbidesecure.com is our website. And I can be reached from the website. I'm also uh, pretty active on LinkedIn and just Darren Gallup. There's not many Darren Gallops. I think there's one other Darren Gallup in the world and he has nothing to do with (laughs) cybersecurity. So that's an easy find. And my podcast is called Why I Am Still Awake. And it's distributed over most popular, like, I don't know, 12 or 13 different platforms, including Apple Podcasts and uh, Spotify, uh, Google's platform, Amazon, and so on. So, yeah, um, I'm not a hard person to find.
0: Awesome. Hey, Darren, I really appreciate your time and thank you so much for being on Secure Talk.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Hello. Welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity
1: and compliance.